Good morning, guys. You are stuck with the second half of the fens. This feels so much taller than it looked when Corey was standing here. I might just move it at some point. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm again. This time we're going to be Psalm 13. Are there any pastor's wives in here? I was a pastor's wife for many years. We even came to some of these. And I always felt like I belonged in the room, but like no one was actually directly talking to me. They were talking to my husband next to me. I want to tell you, I see you. And what you do matters. And you bear the weight of shepherding, and you belong in the room. And so, for whatever reason, I, as I was worshiping back there, I was like, felt like maybe you needed to know that. Being a pastor's wife is a hard job. If any of you ministry leaders have a wife, you know she carries a lot of the load. It comes into the home, and you don't leave work at home, and it's hard. Corey did such a good job last night just kind of ripping the Band-Aid off pretty quickly, right? Like, ministry is hard. We heard you guys even share very vulnerably. We were just so excited. Corey's like, I'm going to do this thing. I hope they jump in. And then as we were going up to our cabin where we're staying, it was like, they did. I'm so glad because we're going to keep going on that same pace. I feel like it's such a waste of time if we just stay at this one certain superficial level forever and then the, you know, the message right before we leave, we like go there. That's not really how Corey and I do things anyways, and you're stuck with us, so here we go. And it was, it was hard, but it was so sweet to hear some of those words last night because they resonated with me. And I know they probably resonated with you. It was probably one of those when somebody says, I don't feel good enough, you were thinking in your head, well, I feel that too, I wasn't going to say it. And it was like words after words after words. And it was just proof that every single one of you guys sitting in this room are somehow at some season going through the same things. That you're not the only one who feels inadequate. You're not the only one who feels like you have doubt inside, yet you every week have to pray about your sermon and stand up in front of the children and speak words you're still trying to figure out and convince your heart that are true. And that's what we're going to dive into this morning. I have the privilege of he ripped the Band-Aid off, and now I'm going to just like kind of poke at the wound. I know, fun job. I'm a mom of four. I don't do a lot of fun jobs, so I'm used to it. I'm here for it. We're going to start Psalm 13. It's only six verses. 
It's only six verses. I'm going to read them for you, and then we're going to go really slowly through them. If you have a journal and a pen, a pencil, kind of pull that out right now. We're going to actually go through a time of process. I'm going to read a verse. We're going to process through it. I'm going to have you write some stuff down. Because what I would love is for this, even like Corey was saying last night, there's nothing I'm going to say up here you've never heard or taught before. And there's probably even things in this passage or about David's life that you're like, she missed this whole point. That's the beautiful part about God's word is he gave me just one tiny little piece of what he felt like you guys should be hearing. You may have much more than that. And so the beautiful part about processing while you are being taught is I want to give you guys time to hear from the Lord as we, we walk through this passage, but then I want you to take it with you. So it's not just you sitting here and listening, but we're going to actually kind of unpack this thing together. All right. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Not just forget me, but forget me forever. David's a little dramatic. (laughs) We'll see this later on. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, oh my God. Give light to my ears or my eyes. One sense, you know, we got five. Or I will sleep in death. Many enemies will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. There is a lot happening here. It's like he, he is just like holding all of this stuff and just kind of like spewing out. As, as pastors, ministry leaders, We've all been in a scenario or have been this person where there is so much happening inside, you just kind of throw up all the emotions. This is David. This is who he is. He's not afraid to feel. We're going to talk a lot about feelings and emotions. Don't get uncomfortable, guys. It's going to be awesome. And I think a lot of times it's really easy to want to bypass that part because as ministry leaders, we know a lot. We've been to seminary. We've been doing this a while. We know our word. We know the truth. We know the right thing to say. We know where to lead people or guide them or point them to when they're feeling these things too. But I love that David... My husband just told me in the back, 30% of David's writing in the Psalms is just like this. Doubt, fear. Dramatically saying, God, you have turned your face and you've forgotten me forever. Yet he was also called the man with God's own heart. And so, get your pencils out. We're going to go verse by verse. Good thing there's only six. You're not stuck with me for too long. How long, David says, four times. 
He says, how long? This, to me, feels like David's in distress. He's exhausted. He's weary. He's slightly dramatic. Probably because we see later in the text, he feels like he's going to die. I don't know about you, but after a youth group sleepover, I feel like I'm going to (laughs) die. He talks about this later, but this is where he starts to talk about his emotions of like, God, you've turned your face. You've forgotten me. And, and just a few chapters, you know, before he's talking about this song of, like, rejoicing that God is with him forever. And it's kind of this, like, bipolar, like, where are we at at any moment, however he feels it's going to just turn him to doubt or forget what God has done. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like one just tiny little thing throws your day off and you're like, I knew it, God. I wasn't called to this. I knew it, God, you forgot about me. I knew it, God, my sin has kept me from you. You don't care. I knew it, God. The first point and kind of process that I want to go through together is our how longs. David here in this tiny little psalm has four. And I want you to start thinking as I'm, I'm talking, and I'm going to actually give about 30 seconds of silence that you can write it down. Your neighbor won't look. If you want to share it with them, you can. But I want you to start getting really honest. We ripped the Band-Aid off. Now it's time we're going to poke the wound. And it might be a wound you don't even know you have. This is the beautiful, exciting, I'm so pumped about this psalm. Because this has literally changed my life in ministry, this process right here. So I want you to start talking to yourself. What are my how longs? How long will I be lonely in singleness? How long will I be in this hard position of work? How long will I have this stronghold or sin? I'm hiding it. And I'm tired. And I think I'm doing good. And then I do it again. And I'm in ministry. And it's just like, feel like I'm getting tossed back and forth. How long will I struggle with anxiety or depression? How long will I have to be a ministry leader before I feel confident? How long will it take me to feel like I'm not doing this job alone? You see, when we start to really dig in, a wound is not surface level. There's a lot to unpack. And sometimes if we don't slow down, like David here, he seems like he's got a lot of time on his hands to talk about his feelings. I have a 13-year-old girl who does this very thing, where it's like, doesn't care what I'm doing. It's like, this is the most important thing right now, and we're going to talk about it. I want to give you that space this morning. So much of your guys' time is shepherding and caring and, and building just like this beautiful bridge to Jesus for people. But this morning, I want to build that for you. 
I want to I want to build this space where you can actually not just look at the hurt that you think is there, but I want you to have a process with the Lord where you're like I do feel inadequate. And I've never asked God why. I've never even told him how it makes me feel. And I've been feeling this for 5 years. So I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds. And maybe it's ministry, maybe it's not, maybe it's family thing. Maybe it's a relationship, a friendship. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a lot of things. I've gone through seasons where I've had a lot of how longs for the Lord. Just felt overwhelming. There wasn't just one. And so we're just going to pause for the next 30 seconds. And if all you have right now is just the words for how long God, my my hope is that for the rest of the week you could start to fill in what those are because we all have them. David isn't alone. I'm not alone. And there's something really beautiful that happens when you start to identify what they are. So take your 30 seconds. All right. I'm just guessing that was 30 seconds. I don't have my glasses on. I'm getting old and I couldn't see in the back of the time. We're going to move on, but hopefully you can come back to this during the week. Verse 2. How long this is one of the four of how longs. How long my, must I wrestle in my thoughts? This one was interesting to me. Because as I dug dug into the text of the actual root of the language, he's not just talking about his thoughts, he's actually talking about arranging plans. Have you ever done that? A how long question actually exposes that we are in a waiting or in a lack of control. And once we get to the how long question, then we're like, "Well, I don't like to wait, and I don't like to not be in control, and I want to heal." It is part of what we do as a job, right? As a pastor, as you, you are solutions. You have, you hold the solutions for the soul and all, all the things. But there are some things in our life we just can't control them or change them and we must wait. And so Paul talks about this and he's like, "How long do I have to wrestle in my thoughts?" What this is saying is, "How long do I need to go find solutions or rearrange certain things and it's not working?" It's not working and I'm frustrated. It makes me feel, let's look. like the enemy will triumph over me. It makes me feel God like you have forgotten me. And so now we're going to get into the feelings. We're going to go back to our paper with our pencil or pen. And I want you to answer this question, where do your thoughts go when you think about Your how-longs. Where do your thoughts go? 
Are you angry? Are you in despair? Are you making arrangements? Have you set them aside and started to ignore them because you're just so tired of talking about the same thing or thinking about the same thing? You become apathetic. Or do your thoughts send you to anxiety? And I want you to just write it down. When I think about my how longs, this is how it makes me feel. I love this next part of the passage. Verse 3. Now David's taken a turn. And he says, look at me and answer. He, it's a demand. Which I thought was kind of funny. Because if you've ever been so frustrated with a situation or something that happened or a pain, or maybe a for how long for somebody else you love, and you, have you ever been so frustrated that you commanded and demanded God? I never have. Maybe you have. It's so brave. I'm so proud of you, I think. But he says it as a command. Look at me and answer. This is David starting to turn from his feelings of God taking his face off of him and forgetting him, and he's turning and remembering his identity. Why can he command God to look upon him? Because he knows who God is to him. Why can he state it that way to God after all of those how longs and those doubts, right, that we try to like bypass and forget when we have prayer time or conversation with the Lord? David just goes all in. He's like, God, you already know. It's in my head. I'm going to say it out loud. And then this beautiful part about it, he's like, look at me and answer. Oh, Lord, my God. He takes a shift where he commands God because he knows his position as a child. And then he claims God as his starts to shift a little bit. You can tell that he is in such despair that there's nothing else that he can go to. He's complained. He then tried to arrange and plan and shift and create his own things in his thoughts and his actions, right? And now he's like, all right, God, I surrender. I'm done. I remember you're my God. I remember. And then verse 5 says, but... I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. 
I love that David has some sort of gift of being able to hold two things at the same time. He's holding despair. He's holding doubt. He's holding the words that he said to God of like, you've turned your face from me. But then he's also holding at the same time, he's holding, I trust you, you are my God, I know you love me, and you have given me salvation. Did you know, friends, that you can hold both? You don't have to hold the despair and the doubt and the hiding and the fear and the what-if gods and the longings behind your back to go towards God that you can hold them out towards him and come to him with both, both being true. That the most beautiful part we're going to get to, I'm, this is the intro, like I'm, we're still going. That the beautiful part is even when you just hold them out, God doesn't wait for you to come to him with it. He comes to you. That he already made a path for this process. And this process is the God with us process. We talk about it all the time. We share it with our youth. We read about it. We have the knowledge. But something happened in my life in the last 10 years where this came to life. And there is a, a freedom when you can bring both. There's a freedom in your leadership when you can be authentic about both. Am I right? There is nothing that will draw you in closer to somebody who loves Jesus and desires to lead you than when they're carrying both and they're free to share it. There is nothing, I, that is one of the most beautiful leaders to follow. And you're teaching without teaching. Can you imagine what your leadership to young students or whoever you're, le you're leading, can you imagine what you're teaching them if this is what you showed them? That this is real. We go through hard times. I think that God's forgotten me. I have doubts. I have longings. I have asked God for how long are you going to do this? I've done that. But then I also know this. I also know the truth. There is no bypassing our emotions with God. Not the way he designed it. Because he designed it, the God with us process has to carry the emotions and the feelings. We see it in David. It's beautiful. I think it's why we, we're drawn sometimes as humans to just read his words. Because he's saying the thing that we aren't brave enough to say. There's this bypassing. that I grew up doing, because as a pastor's kid, I grew up knowing all the things. Went to Awanas, was a cubby. And then I became a pastor's wife. From one to the other. And without knowing it, 
when hard things would happen to me, I would want to bypass to the truth and get to the healing. Like if I could just acknowledge the truth of what God says, I am anxious as all get out. But I know God's word says, do not be anxious about anything because for everything, give, and da, 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 da. And I'm going on and on in my head. And I'm just like slapping on a Band-Aid. That's bypass. We don't want to go through, right? I'm anxious. All right, God, I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? Because I feel like I can't. I'm not enough. I'm struggling every day to believe that I'm enough. And then we get to the truth. You see, when we bypass the emotion, when we bypass the rawness, when we bypass the doubt that's there that God already knows, but we don't want to bring it to him up front, we just hold it behind our back, we're actually stunting our growth. That you can be really, really smart here. But part of the discipleship process, you teach this to your students, is we don't want to just hear we want it from here to here to here, right? And that process of getting it from here to here to here is a really hard one lifelong that you will forever be a learner on how to do it. This process of God being with you in all of the feelings and emotions is the part that transitions it from here to here. You have to have it. It's a hard one. Without this process that David shows us, this is where it could lead. Control. Fear. Avoidance. Unforgiveness. Weariness. Anger. Friends, I struggle with anger. And when I am not going through this with me process with the Lord, and I just want to bypass, because I don't have time. I don't have time anymore to ask God the how long questions. I just want I want it to be done. My first instinct is to be angry. I am the victim, they're the victim, where have you been? You're just holy and loving God, it doesn't seem like it. And this beautiful process that David represents has healed a part of my heart. No, it didn't take the anger away. I know that when I come in contact with something that is going to cause me to doubt the Lord, my first instinct is to be angry. I know that about myself. And so what do I do instead? This is where the process of being with God 
actually allows you to grow. Two ways, in knowledge, not just knowledge here, but knowledge of actually knowing God. It'd be the difference of like somebody tells me about my husband, Corey, like when we were dating or before we were dating. They're like, this guy is super tall. And it's like, okay, I, I, I know a lot about him. But the knowledge I'm talking about is like, I've spent so much time with him. I not only know all those things that I heard about, but I know him. Because I've spent the time. I know what his presence feels like when we're laughing and having fun, or when we're telling a funny joke with just our eyes because we both know it's funny but nobody else does. There's that part of the relationship that I want to I talk about now. There's two of them. That when we decide to actually share and represent our emotions and our feelings and our doubts and all of the things before the Lord, these are the two things that happen. We can learn from him what we know about him. Let me say it again. We can learn from him what we already know about him. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That when we decide to go through the process of being with God in our for how longs, that he doesn't just give us his presence, he gives us tools. There's knowledge there that he will be with you and teach you. The second one is intimacy. What we can learn being with him. Romans 8, 26, 27 says, it's a long one. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also who have fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, because whoever hopes in what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. There's an intimacy there. That the knowledge of who God is and the knowledge here, it, it, they can't replace each other. And there's, a, there's an acknowledgement in intimacy that when you want to be in control and you want to, like David was saying, I, I'm, I'm making arrangements. I'm doing it. I'm changing my scenario. That when you experience intimacy with Christ, you actually have to surrender. 
There is a surrender because there's an acknowledgement. You are God and I am not and you are, I'm weak and I need you. And so there's this exchange that happens. You see, when we want to spiritually bypass without emotion because we're afraid, because doubt, we're not supposed to have it, we start to pile on all of these things. Fear, avoidance, unforgiveness, weariness. What God has already designed, the road map for us to process with him and bring both truths to him, he starts giving out gifts. This is why as David continues to go in the Psalm of 13, he's, he's starting to praise. He's starting to praise God. Because God's process of being with you, as he just delights in you so much, he's already starting to give you gifts. Corey had mentioned um, <clears throat> last night we adopted our daughter through foster care. Our youngest one, she came to us when she was two. We actually lived here at Hume Lake right across the pond over there. Our house is no longer there. Um, but I'll never forget the first day she came home with us. A sweet little girl who had seen too much of the world and experienced too much pain already. Neglect, trauma, I had no idea what I was doing or how I was going to do it. And so she comes into our home and she starts to call Corey and I, mommy, daddy, both together. She didn't know if I was the mommy or the daddy and she didn't know if he was the mommy or the daddy. So she would just proclaim, mommy, daddy, like I need help. Like, I know these are the people who are going to do the thing for me or get the snack or give me Cheez-Its or banana or water or whatever it might be. And over time, she started to identify that I am mommy and he is daddy. And so there was this understanding and every time with, if you know anything about trauma and therapy and all of that, there's this beautiful thing that every single time you do care, love, provide for, that you are depositing trust and love into that child every single time. It could be as simple as handing them a banana is a deposit. It could be as simple as tying her shoes, deposit. We'd gone two years depositing that trust and love with her. And there was this thing that she kept doing. In the mornings, because we had three other biological kids, she would, she would see, because she'd climb out of her crib, she was like a wild animal, she could climb anything. She'd climb out of her crib and she would kind of look down the hallway and she'd see our other biological kids in bed with us and we're snuggling and tickling and having fun and being silly. And there's this one moment I, I caught her face and I could see a longing that she desperately wanted to do that too, but didn't know how. And it was like over time she'd get closer and closer and closer until one night I heard some like rustling 
I pop my eyes open like every parent, like, what's happening? And it's real dark, and I like, I, I look outside my door frame. We leave our door open so we can, like, hear the children. And I see her tiny little body laying in the doorway, asleep. I'm like, what is she doing? <coughs> so I go over to her. She's really asleep, so there was no conversation we were going to have. And I pick her up, and I put her in bed with me. So then she wakes up in the morning. She kind of looks at me like, whoa, <laughs> too far. <laughs> like, I thought I, I wanted to, like, come snuggle you, but I wasn't sure, and now you just, like, cross the line. And she started doing that night after night after night. And every night, I almost started to, like, remember she was going to do it. And I was convinced she, that's what she really wanted. So I'd go, and I'd pick her up, and I'd bring her into bed with me. And she'd wake up in the morning like, oh, gosh. And she would go out of our room. And we went through this process until I finally, in a little kid way, had this conversation with her of, like, baby, why do you keep sleeping at the doorway? Like, just come. Just come in the middle of the night. You can come anytime you want to. I'm like trying to deposit, you know, trust. She's like, I'm just really scared at night, but I don't know how to come in your room. You see, she was doing this very process that we do with the Lord all the time. She knows this is mommy. She loves me. She cares for me. She's safe. I see her loving the other kids, that I long for it. But then there's another piece of her that is broken and hurting and doubting. And so it causes her to continue to just fall asleep at the doorway. Because she can't quite figure out how to, how to cross over and to do that. How many times, friends, do we do that with the Lord? We know what we know what we know, yet we do something different. And we see David processing this. So at the very end, Psalm 13, verse 6. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. What? We started with, you've turned your face from me. You must have forgotten about me. And slowly, in six verses, that's not very long. It takes me a lot longer for me to kind of turn my, my even projection of my voice and how angry I am, right? towards the Lord and my longing for how long are you going to do this? It could take months or there has been seasons in my life. I, it's taken me years. Years for me to finally bring the feelings of what happened to me, what somebody did, how I feel about something, years for me to finally bring it before the Lord and just lay it before him. This is what it is. This is how it makes me feel, right, wrong, or different. I'm holding both. I know who you are, God. I know you love me. And then David ends with, I will sing to you 
because I know you're good. I will sing to you because I am claiming you are my God. I am holding both out equally. In the ESV translation, it says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt with me bountifully with me. And I was like, interesting, it, it caused me to pause. And I was like, there's all these different, in each translation, they wrote it really different. I'm like, all right, I want to know in the original language, what does this mean? What is this phrase? The phrase, for he has been good to me, or he has dealt bountifully for me, actually in the original language, for he will have vindication for me. And I'm like, those all seem so different. What does this mean? The word is actually, I'm going to try it, gamal. <laughs> it's hard to say. But as I dug in deeper, the meaning of this phrase, for he will have vindication for me, is to repay. Further to restore, which what, with which what was once lost. What was lost for David? His faith. What is God doing for him? He's vindicating it. He's restoring it. You see, friends, at the very end, we see him able to sing. Able to rejoice in who God is. Not because he had more faith. You can shame yourself with the need to have more faith all you want, but shame is not of God. And so if you are going through a situation where you're just like, I don't really know how I'm going to get through this with God. It feels like there will not be a repair. It is not your job to repair it. It's his. That he will, he will restore. He will vindicate it so much so there's blessing within it, gifts and tools. And so to wrap up, I hope this morning that maybe it's the first time you've ever thought, like, what are my for however longs? What are my for how long, God, will you do this? Maybe it's a for how long for a friend, or spouse, or student, and you watch them in pain, and it's caused you to doubt in your own faith. I've been there, watching my daughter's little life, and the pain and the trauma that that tiny little life went through had never caused me more doubt in God's goodness. But I will tell you this, years it took, five exactly, years of wrestling with God. I thought you were going to save her, and then you didn't. And then you came back through and saved her, and then you didn't. And then you did this, and then you allowed this. And I was David, literally being like, for how long are you going to let this baby suffer? For how long? And never in that process did I know I could hold both. More so, I felt like I was losing my faith. Have you ever felt like that before? 
Can I be a pastor or a ministry worker if I am feeling this for this long? Let me encourage you by saying you can. And you are not the first one. So much so that God made it a point. And this is only David, there's more. So much so that God made it a point to demonstrate to us that the process of being with him is there, it's laid out, it's plowed because he already knew you were going to go through this and doubt him and think that he has turned his face from you. He already knew. That that process does not disqualify you. It makes you human. So may you be encouraged to ask yourself your for how longs. Don't be afraid of them. They're already there. They're already causing anxiety. They're already causing doubt. They're already in your thoughts. They're already coming out of your mouth. Ask yourself. And then from there, go even further, like a picture of my daughter walking through the doorway, not just at the doorway. But start to process with the Lord, because of my for how longs, this is how I now feel. This is how I feel this is what I think is true about me, about them, about how you love me, whatever it might be. And write it down, think about it, bring it to the Lord. Bring both. Not to fix them. Let me get that clear. Don't bypass. Don't bypass just to get to the truth, to get to the healing. But God desires to go through the process of being with him that there might not be a direct answer. We don't get a direct answer for David. Yet he ends in singing. Isn't that the point? I never knew if my daughter would be adopted. Yet there were days that I could still sing to God. My desire for you guys this weekend is just to invite God into that process. How beautiful your ministry life can become when we start to do that process. Often, even daily, check-ins. Because what would your ministry, your care for people look like if you experienced the knowledge of God in that way, the intimacy of God in that way, and then you got to give that to your students. What would their lives look like? What would their lives look like if they knew how to do this at 13, 15, 18? Whoever you're serving. Let me pray for you. God, I... I thank you that you are a God that cares. You are a God that does not proclaim us dramatic or inconsistent, but you already knew. You already knew the hearts of what humans were capable of and how just washy we are from one emotion to the next.
And we thank you that you made a way that, that you would be with us in it, that we don't have to wait until heaven, but that you are with us now. I pray for the men and women in this room that this process would transform their not only knowledge of you, but their intimacy with you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.